let's go to uh, Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 16. And I want uh, every time we have someone join the church, I uh, talk about church membership. And I want to issue a caveat, and I'm begging people to 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 hear me. Every single time, anywhere I've ever talked about church membership in a sermon, someone always is uh, be, is upset afterward. Um, so let me let me beg you. Uh, I do not think if you're not a church member, you're a second class Christian. I am not targeting anyone. All I'm doing is because someone joined the church today. It's a good time. What better time than to pause and to talk about what on earth is church membership about? And that's all I want to talk about today. There's many things I could talk about, but we'll be in Matthew 16 and two other passages that, that get at the same, the same idea. Is the PowerPoint up, Samuel? On here? Oh, no, no. It's time for the sermon now. The way I want to introduce this, how many of you have seen the, the Disney movie Ratatouille? With the rat who can cook. Okay, so the plot of this movie, an amazing movie, I love this movie, um, is there is a rat uh, who has a dream that he can cook. And he finds a young guy who 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 um, uh, who wants to be a chef, but who's he finds a young guy who he who he directs to cook for him because a rat can't cook, right? No one wants to see this guy cook anything. So the rat can't cook, but he can cook, but he can't cook. So what the rat does is they work out a partnership where the rat hides under his chef hat, and he. He, using the guy's hair, he controls his arms to let him know to grab this or to grab that. And so the rat cooks by just using the guy as his, as his hands and feet and arms to, to do all the stuff. So the whole movie is about a rat who wants to cook. He's a nice rat. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with him. He's clean, too. They're great friends, as you can see here. Um, and I want us to think of that as a, as a cute metaphor for God controlling and directing his church. God controls and directs us through the Holy Spirit, uh, guides us into what we're supposed to do, uh, shepherds us to make sure we don't do dumb things, and works with us, not just individually, but as a group, works with us to control and direct his church. For most of Christian history, until the last few generations, especially in America, Christians understood that they were supposed to formerly attach themselves to a local church somewhere in some way. And today I want to talk, I want to plea with you by looking at Matthew 16, 19, which is a strange passage if you haven't thought about it. Matthew 16, 19, and two other passages that say the same thing. And I want to try my best to impress upon all of us how important it is to formally to, to make what probably is already happening formally official in joining the congregation where you go and spend most of your time and where you where the people are with whom you worship. So we'll be, we'll be in Matthew 16, 19. I'll skip to two other texts. The sermon will go this way. I'm going to give an overview of what church membership is, which I already gave a short preview of. I'm going to look at three passages really quickly. And then I will close with my plea to you, whoever you are, to think about the idea of joining the church where you go to worship God with other people. And if, if I can't sway you today, 
maybe you'll think about it. Just think about it. There's no caveats. There, there's no asterisks. I have no list of first class or second class Christians. I'm just asking us to think about it. That's it. So what on earth, church, church, oh, I was supposed to use another one. See, he's cooking. This is before he realizes he needs to use a person to do it for him. Um, what on earth does it mean to join a church? Church membership, uh, there's a lot of bad ideas floating out there, but at its core, this is where church membership is on the screen. For those on Zoom, I can't show the PowerPoint, so you'll have to just listen to me, unfortunately. Um, what is church membership? It's just you, it's just a Christian pledging. I want to serve God here in this particular Christian community. I want to learn about God here in this particular Christian community. I want to be held accountable here in this particular Christian community. I want to love God here in this particular Christian community. I want, on your screen, to be a Christian here in this particular Christian community. It's a formal pledge that that's what you want to do, and you want to be held accountable by other people as we all, as a group, try our very best to love God, to serve him, and to be faithful sons and daughters of the king. Church does not mean the building. When you think of church, when you read the word church in the New Testament, think community. That's what you should think, community of believers. That's what a church is, community of believers. Barnes and Noble. So let me talk about the universal church. There's churches, God's family exists all over the place, not just here. Um, so Debbie was already part of the universal church. God has a huge global kingdom community that he's building. There's people joining all the time. Debbie was already a member before she came up here. Coming up here didn't change that at all. But I want to talk about the distinction between the global brand and an individual local branch of that brand. Barnes and Noble. It's not global, but it's across the country. You get what I'm saying. I could have used Walmart, but I like Barnes and Noble better. So I use Barnes and Noble. So you have Barnes and Noble. There's stores all over the place, all over the place. It's all the same company, but it has different branch offices, different stores all over. So you have, in one sense, you have the big Barnes and Noble scattered all over the place, hundreds of stores. And in the other, you have a local branch of the organization, the store on the west side in Olympia, off Black Lake Boulevard. Each branch of Barnes & Noble has different flavors or vibes that make them different. Each store can highlight any books they want. They're not forced to all buy the same books. Um, they can each put up their own displays, buy this book or buy that book or not buy that author, not highlight that author. They can get authors in for book signings that the other store won't. Each store can do its own thing, but it's still Barnes & Noble, even though there's different flavors or vibes among the different branches. You can say, I like Barnes and Noble, but you really don't like all the Barnes and Nobles because you'll never see them. You'll never visit them unless you're strange and that's your mission in life. And maybe you will, but you're never going to see them all. What you actually mean is you like the ones you visit. You like, this is the one on the west side off Black Lake Boulevard. What you really mean is you like the ones you go to because you'll never go to them all. The global Barnes and Noble is just this, it's a vague thing. You're never going to go to all of them. It's hazy. It's, it's an idea. It's not something you can really grab hold of 
because you'll never visit them all. When you say you like Barnes and Noble, what it actually means is it, you, you like the ones or the one that you actually go to that's in your city. You can substitute Fred Meyer or Walmart, whatever global brand you want, wherever the shoe fits, make it fit. You get what I'm saying. You can like a global brand, but what it really means is you like the individual store that you happen to go to, the branch of that brand. Membership in the global kingdom of God that's coming is true and it's real, but it becomes practical. It becomes really real. It becomes concrete in a particular community like this one, in a particular place like this one, among particular people like me and you who actually know who you are. And that means some sort of some sort of formal affiliation with the people in a local place who gather on a regular basis like here. You don't know anything about what's going on with the Devakars in India. I can read it to you, but it doesn't mean that much because you don't know them. Some of you have never met them. You don't know their problems. You don't know their people. It's all abstract. It's not real. Yes, they're part of the family, but in practical terms, the family of God exists in a concrete reality with the people you worship with every week and do Christian stuff with. That's the, the concrete expression of a universal reality. The New Testament, and I'm almost done, then I'll look at the passages, and I think you'll find them interesting. The New Testament, especially the book of Acts, shows us a simple pattern. Unbelievers become believers. Theoretically, they'll become baptized soon after they become believers. They join together with some local community in Philippi, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, in Jerusalem, in Antioch, wherever they, they find other believers and they join together where they're taught and discipled and trained by the people in that community. They grow with a bunch of other Christians in a particular place. And because of what we see in the book of Acts, throughout all of Christian history, Christians have always gathered together in a specific local place, been formally welcomed into the community by baptism, and cared for each other in a partic particular people in a particular place, and carried out Christ's mission as a community. The New Testament doesn't say that Christianity is a self-assigned status. It's the community that recognizes you and doesn't make you a Christian, but recognizes you and, and welcomes you in. It's an identifiable community of distinguishable people who pledge themselves to a particular people in a particular place to serve God here. And so the conclusion that Christians have reached for eons is that if all that's true, then the inevitable conclusion is there's some sort of there has to be some sort of mechanism so all these little branch offices of God's kingdom scatter all over the place can recognize who fellow travelers are. That's all that church membership is. That, that's what it's about. I want to serve God here in this place with these people. And the Christian community says, she's, she is a Christian and we want her to join us and we want to help her and she needs to help us. It's a formal recognition of what's already there. So I didn't take the time to prove that. 
I want us to look at Matthew 16, 18, a very interesting passage of scripture, which you might not have thought that much about. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter has just given his famous confession. So I'll read leading up to it. In Matthew 16, 13, we read, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who am I? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. I don't care about what other people think. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On the rock is Peter. The rock is Peter. He's the one who made the confession. He's the one Peter's talking to. And I'll, I'll explain more about that in a minute. But what he says is, on, on you, on this rock, I will build my church, his community, the, the fellowship, the kingdom people, the family that he's gathering that's a deliberate alternative to the kingdom of darkness. If, he's, if Jesus is building his community, and that community is a global one, but with local branches all over the place, the question I want you to think of, is this status as a, as a Christian, is this a, is this a self-identification that you assign to yourself, or is it something that the community recognizes and welcomes you into? Is it just a self-identification? You declare yourself a Christian, or is it also the community welcoming you in to the fold? Who's the point person who affirms your membership in the global church? Is it you, or is it a local branch of the community that hears your testimony, baptizes you, and welcomes you into the family, and then teaches you what it means to be part of the family? On this rock, I'll build my church, my community, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the point. What on earth does this mean? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking to Peter. We're going to get to two other passages in case, you're, in case your, Catholic, your Roman Catholic radar is beeping. Just hold on for a minute. He's talking to Peter, and he tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's painting a picture. What do keys do? What do they do? They lock and they unlock. You don't have the key, you're not getting in the house. I remember once when I was 17 years old, I came home and it was really late and I didn't have the key and I had to wake up my parents to let me in. The, the key gets you into the house. There's a door to the kingdom of heaven. Peter has the key that opens or closes it. You might say, well, what is that supposed to mean? We'll explain. We have two more passages. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In some way that, that's difficult to understand right now until we flesh this out with more passages, Peter has the authority to lock the door so people don't go into the kingdom. 
or to unlock the door to let people in the kingdom. Very strange. What's that mean? We usually get tripped up about Roman Catholicism and Peter and what they do with this verse. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just leave that aside and just think about what is the key thing trying to communicate? What's the key thing mean? Whatever else it means, if Peter has the keys, that wasn't supposed to happen. If Peter has the keys, then in some way, it means Peter affirms who comes in and who stays outside. Let's go to Matthew 18, verse 18. Matthew 18, verse 18. The key thing. Have you ever stopped to think about what on earth that means? Matthew 18, most people know this passage, or at least most pastors know this passage as the passage where uh, Jesus tells how we're supposed to deal with problems in the community. So Matthew 18, 15, but really we'll get to verse 18. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This presuppose, he's talking to the community. If your, if, if your guises, it's plural. Um, presupposes the community knows who its brothers and sisters are. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If you can't, if there's an issue, and your brother or sister's in sin, and you, 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 you try and talk to them and reason with them, and they, it can't be solved, then you go to the community. What community? Am I, are you going to go to the debauchers in India and ask them for help? You go to the place where you meet, where the other people around you hang out, where you worship together. Your local, you're going to go to the local branch. You need to return a book. Are you going to send it to a Barnes & Noble in Key West? Or are you going to drive to the west side and return the book to Barnes & Noble? I hope you would not send it to Key West. Maybe that would work. I don't know. You're going to drive to the west side to the store. If they still refuse to listen, verse 17, tell that to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, even to the community as a group of people, all with the spirit together, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now. Think about this. Who are the people in this community? How do we know who they are? How do you know who they are? If someone wants to be an American citizen, can they just declare themselves an American citizen? Can they just say, I'm an American, and it just, it's done by speaking the words? No, the, the, the America has to welcome you in. There's a process. You have to be welcomed in. In the same way, can someone just declare themselves to be a kingdom citizen? Or does the New Testament show us people believing and then assimilating into a community somewhere in Philippi or Ephesus or Antioch or Thessalonica or Philadelphia or wherever? So now we get to the point in verse 18. He's not talking to Peter. Now he's talking to every to the community. Truly, I tell you. This is plural. Truly, I tell you guys, the community, the same language he told Peter with the keys. Whatever you guys bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's that mean? What he's saying is the Christian community has the keys. The Christian community has the keys to lock people out of the kingdom or to let them in. The Christian community, by the power and wisdom of God who dwells within us, the community is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says when he says you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's plural. It's the community. It's not just you. It's us. We recognizes, we formally recognize who comes in through the door because the church, the churches have keys. This metaphor, the community lets you in or it shuts you out. Practically speaking, that means every little Christian community has keys. Not the pastor, but the community, the group, the group of believers in a particular place, the congregation has keys. This is plural. If you've never thought about what this key thing is about, why does Jesus mean when he says this? And this is plural. He's talking to the group. In what sense do we bind or loose anything? What picture is this key thing supposed to make in your mind? Verse 18 is meant to burn this image of the key, lock or unlock. The community, each local Christian community has keys to recognize what God has done and let them in to the fellowship or say God has not done something with you and you're welcome to come and we want you to come, but you're not yet part of the family because you're not a believer. The church recognizes what God has already done in people's lives. You're a Christian, come with us, join us, be part of us and help us. You're not a Christian. We want to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. But the only people let, who are let through the door are the people that the local community welcomes in. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he says something very strange, which is usually taken out of context. Again, I tell you, Matthew 18, 19, and 20, if two of you agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Why does he say this right after he's telling the church how to deal with a person who is in sin and won't stop? He's saying, whenever two or more of my people are gathered together, I'm with them. And the decisions the church makes are his decisions. He's guiding us. He's influencing us to recognize a Christian and welcome them into the fellowship. He's guiding us, moving us to recognize someone's not a Christian and not formally welcoming them in, into the fellowship. The key thing means something, or it's a pointless metaphor that, that has no purpose. The churches have the keys to open and welcome believers in, or to keep the door locked and tell people you need to believe in Jesus, then you can formally join the fellowship. That's what Jesus means here when he says this. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And so when we make decisions as a church body, even though there's not 500 of us, but there's more than two or three, he's here with us in the same way, with the same power and the same 
the same depth of presence. The last place I want to take you to is John, John 20. John 20, uh, verse 21. Jesus has uh, just resurrected, just been raised from the dead. And in John 20, verse 19, we have the same thing. On the evening of the first day, uh, the disciples are all gathered together. Jesus appears. He says, peace be with you. They're all overjoyed. And then in Matthew, Matthew, in John chapter 20, verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Plural. He's talking to the community. What does he send the community to do? What's the, what does Jesus send the community to do? What's our job? Make disciples, preach the gospel. You know, Matthew, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the age. Now, that's our job, to go do all that stuff. And then there's verse 22. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And here he says to the group, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The community forgives sins and unlocks the unlocks or keeps the door shut to the kingdom to welcome people into the family. Jesus is like the king in heaven who's controlling his church. Each church is like a local embassy in a foreign land here, there, Bangladesh, India, Nairobi, um, Olympia, Tumwater, Tanino, all over the place. These embassies everywhere. Some are bigger, some are small, but each embassy. Each embassy is full of people who together as a group of Christians use these keys to recognize that God has forgiven someone's sins or to recognize that God hasn't yet forgiven their sins because they don't believe in Jesus. What does it mean when Jesus says this? He's talking about the keys again. You have to think about what it could he possibly mean with this. How does a church have the authority to bind or unbind anything and have it mean something? How is a church, how does a church have ability to do any of this? How do we have the ability to do any of this? What's he saying? What he's saying is each church has keys to the kingdom door. And as the church preaches the gospel, it unlocks the door by welcoming people in who've become Christians or who already are. Come in, come in. You are a Christian. Come in and join us and help us. Be a part of us. Strengthen us. Or they have keys to say, you're not a Christian. You can come, you can worship, you, you can listen, but you're not, you, 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 if you're not a believer, you, you can't be part of this community. These three passages all are about the church having keys, and that has to mean something. What does it mean? The church is God's hand and feet in the world. In Matthew 28, I just quoted the verse, Matthew 20 and 19, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. But before that, in verse 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you all can go and preach the gospel, meaning I'm in heaven and I am empowering you and I'm directing you from heaven. Just like just like Remy, the rat, is directing the guy to cook. 
I'm not saying God is a rat, so give me some grace here. I'm saying that God is controlling his church. All the branch offices, he's controlling us, he's directing us, he's telling us what to do. We're his hands and feet. Christ, the Christ, each Christian community all over the place, whether there's 10 people, whether there's 30 people, whether there's 3,000 people. And as an aggregate whole, we do greater things than he did because there are more of us, John 14, 12. Each church is a kingdom embassy in a foreign land operating by Jesus's guidance, and each kingdom embassy has keys to the kingdom door. When Christ saves someone, a local church opens the door to affirm what God has done. When Christ hasn't saved someone, the local church keeps the door locked to confirm what he hasn't done. The White House press secretary allegedly doesn't make policy. She's just supposed to relay what the president's policy is. A local church in this, in a parallel, a local church isn't God. We don't make, we didn't make Debbie a Christian when she came up here to join our church. Instead, we recognized what God had already done and we formally welcomed her into fellowship and welcomed her to be a Christian in a particular place with these particular people here. And each church is a venue for relaying what God has done by those keys. There's a lot that could be said about the key thing. Whatever else they mean, what Christians have believed for a long time is they imply some sort of mechanism to recognize people. They imply membership. You're a Christian, welcome in. You're not a Christian, go ahead and come, but you're not yet part of the family. Christ builds his church by way of the keys. The community opens the door, the door to members, and locks it to non-members. Christ disciplines us by way of the keys. The community locks the kingdom door to believers who've run off the rails and gone crazy, like the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who has an improper relationship with his own mother. He tells the church to expel that person. How are they going to expel him if, he's not a, if he has no affiliation with them? You can't expel someone who's not a member of your group. All of these are implications where people have said there has to be some sort of mechanism to formally welcome people in the family or formally exclude them. So Jesus intends by this key thing, he intends this metaphor to communicate. The community controls the kingdom door in some sort of visible, definable, specific way. And therefore, we have the idea of someone coming before the church, explaining her faith in Jesus and asking to be formally received into membership to affirm what God has already done on a global scale. That's what membership's about. So my plea this morning, and my plea this morning is this, a local church membership is, is, not, uh, is not saying you're not a Christian until you join the local church. It's none of that silliness. It's just you saying, I want to be a Christian. I am a Christian and I wanna be a Christian here in this place with these particular Christian people and everything that that implies, like the things we asked Debbie and the things I asked you guys to affirm for Debbie. That's what church membership is about. If you've been coming here regularly, ask me about membership or think about the key thing. What's it mean? What does Jesus mean about the keys? If the group has keys to lock and unlock the kingdom door, 
And if the Devakers have no control over what happens here, then that means each church has something to do with these keys. What are they for? So I promise not to think you're a second-class Christian if you say, eh, and do nothing. I do not think you're a second-class Christian. I do think you're standing on the other side of what Christians throughout history have thought and believed and what the New Testament shows us, especially with the key thing. If you don't formalize what's already there, your global membership is already there, formalize it by just pledging yourself, like we did this morning, to a particular Christian group in a particular place. Why not do it here? If you've been coming and you need a place to be encouraged, to be held accountable, to use your gifts, why not formalize what's probably most likely already happening anyway? Why not do it here? Why not do it somewhere? That's my plea for church membership. It's a blessed time when someone joins a church. It was wonderful for Debbie to join our church. I hope if you haven't given her hugs and handshakes or high fives or whatever you want to do, that you'll do that. And I especially hope if you have no formal church home, you'll think about formally affiliating yourself like Debbie did this morning. So together, we can wield the keys, teach one another, help one another, pray for one another together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to just think about the concept of the keys and what they mean. It might be new to us. We might not have thought about what it means or what it implies. Work on our hearts. Help us to think about this. Help us to wrestle with it and lead us to do what your will is uh, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.